I struggled. I struggled with staying organized. I struggled with a clean home. I struggled kind of staying on top of tasks and 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 with mental illness for 30 years and raising my children in, in all of these environments, I'll call them. There are many types of declutter coaches and a declutter coach literally helps somebody to decide what is important to them, right? What is bringing value into their life? We will look at items inside of the home. We'll look at spaces that are kind of overrun with clutter or are a little bit disorganized, right? And we'll ask those questions that are aligned to our values. Is this serving me? And am I able to serve this item? But then helps you to create the disciplines um, and the, the systems, right? That will help you maintain that space based on is this bringing value? Am I able to serve? Is this item serving me? So using the physical clutter is a catalyst for the change because it stretches out across all aspects of life. You know, when we get comfortable with making decisions about what's in our immediate environment, it helps us to make decisions about the relationships we have, right? About, you know, making quick, fast decisions at work. We're not just the single story, as Chimamanda Ngochi Adichie would say, right? That there's more to us than just a single story. You're listening to The Grind and Gratitude Show. I am Danny Stone, and I've dedicated my entire life to helping people win. Win in their careers, win in their businesses, and win in their lives. This podcast is going to help you get on your grind and hustle to create the life that you love and walk in gratitude along the journey. Each episode, I'll teach you tools and tactics and bring you conversations with experts that will help you turn your passion into a thriving online business. Life isn't about wishing for something greater. It's about making it happen. There's something special about you. Grind until you find it. Be grateful when you get it. All right. Welcome back to the Grind and Gratitude Show. As always, if this is your first time tuning into the show, thank you so much. If you're an avid listener or watcher of the show on YouTube, well then, you know I got a lot of love for you. (laughs) And lately, I've been bringing back some really amazing guests. It's been a while since I've had some guests on. So over the last few episodes, I've been bringing you really great guests. And the reason why I like to bring you guests is because I bring you people who can add value to your life, to your business, and to whatever you have going on. And so I have a very special guest with me. And one thing I I, I find very interesting, which I think a lot of you are going to love, is she is a declutter coach. That's right. And I'm super excited to have Jaycel Murphy on the show. Welcome to the show. How are you? I am so well. Thank you so much for having me today, Danny. What an honor to be here. Nah, I love it. I love it. You know, we met probably, I don't even know, a year and a half ago or something in, in the Champion U room on Clubhouse. And the very first time that I heard you speak. This is something that I do. I always listen to people and I watch them and I see what they're passionate about. And I see if they're adding value to other people's lives. And if they are, then that's somebody that I want to know. And, you know, oftentimes I get them on the show and that's exactly what I heard from you when I heard you. So. Well, listen, let me just say, I, I appreciate that because I remember when I first went on to Clubhouse One of the things that I, and I mean, Clubhouse had a great run. We really did have a beautiful run there. It was such an amazing platform where people could, almost like a studio audience, come up and share their intimate, you know, issues or whatever they had to, you know, problem solving, that sort of thing. So it was really like a community. We could connect immediately with one another. But I remember thinking to myself, like, why am I here? What am I doing on Clubhouse? Like, am I here to consume or am I here to contribute? And I, I realized that there were going to be moments where I was going to contribute for sure. I was sorry, consume for sure. Like there was going to be moments where I was just going to be listening in or, you know, taking notes from what other people shared. But my primary reason for being there was really to contribute. And I noticed the same thing was true for your program, for the Champion You show. It was all about how can we contribute to people's lives to help them become the best version of themselves. And that's one of the reasons why I stuck with you guys was because our values in terms of showing up for community were in alignment. That's so dope. I, you know, I'm, I'll be making notes here. If you see me looking down, but I consume <laughs> or contribute. I love that. 
And so many people stay stuck in this consume mode. But before we get into all that, like introduce everybody, introduce yourself and let everybody know what you do. Yes. So my name is Jacelle Murphy. I'm a, uh, I, I specialize in deep butter coaching, but I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a mother of four beautiful boys. I live wow. in the city of Toronto. I am a child of God. And I I was really blessed to kind of grow into the work that I'm doing today. You know, it wasn't something that I would have chosen for myself necessarily. I actually, when I was a child, I wanted to be an OBGYN and oh. child psychologist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> had dreams to go to Howard University and all kinds. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I have my sweater. H-U, you know. H-U? But, you know, as life would have it, I struggled. I struggled with staying organized. I struggled with a clean home. I struggled with, with you know, just kind of staying on top of tasks and 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 with mental illness for mm. 30 years and raising my children in, in all of these environments, I'll call them. And at some point, God saw it fit that he was going to use my painful environments, what I thought were pain points, to heal me. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I had to do was stand on him and face them mm-hmm. instead of doing what I was doing in the past, which was running from them. Right. And somehow it it all came together. I don't know how, but it did. It all came together. And today I am a testament of his love, but also am a testament to other people, letting them know that all things are possible, right? We can heal from mental illness, but more importantly, we can heal from the clutter that can debilitate us in our lives, right? And so that's why I do the work that I do today. It healed me. I see that it's healing others. And there's this indigenous proverb on my mother's side, I'm Cree, Métis, and Mohawk, Black Mohawk. So I'm Haudenosaunee as well. And they say, well, it was Grandma Pauline who taught me. She said, you know, when, when you heal, everyone else around you heals. Mm. And so that's kind of another mantra that I live my life by is making sure that I'm healing. And the the metric for that to know that I'm healing is when I see other people around me healing. It's kind of like the fruit in the Bible, right? You'll know people yeah. by the fruit. That's very, true. Yeah. Yeah. Th- you know, that that's very powerful. I mean, wow. I mean, that's a very powerful what you just what you just said and how, you know, you listen to your creator who was leading you down a path that maybe you didn't understand. But before we go down that path, because I know a lot of people listening right now are like, you know, what is a declutter coach? I've had so many different types of coaches here. So like break down what a declutter coach is and and, and what you help people do. Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. <clears throat> so there are many types of declutter coaches and a declutter coach literally helps somebody to decide what is important to them, right? What is bringing value into their life? And so we have Clutter coaches who work with people in the professional spheres, right? Kind of figuring out their life and in almost in like the life coaching arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas myself, I use the home as a catalyst for declutter coaching. And so we will look at items inside of the home. We'll look at spaces that are kind of overrun with clutter or are a little bit disorganized, right? And we'll ask those questions, right? That are aligned to our values is this serving me and am I able to serve this item, Mm -hmm. right? It's a two-way street, just like any relationship. So the declutter coach helps you to decide to set those values first, which is kind of the motivating force, right? What's motivating me to continue to coming back into this space, but then helps you to create the disciplines and the, the systems, right? That will help you maintain that space based on is this bringing value? Am I able to serve? Is this item serving me? So really it comes down to making decisions, right? Mm. That's what a declutter coach ultimately helps you do is increase your capacity to be decisive, yeah. right? And it's it, and I say that using the physical clutter is a catalyst for the change because it stretches out across all aspects of life. You know, when we get comfortable with making decisions about what's in our immediate environment, it helps us to make decisions about the relationships we have, right? About, you know, making quick, fast decisions at work, especially if we're running large multi-million dollar corporations or we're responsible for large running large divisions in multi-billion dollar corporations, right? Yeah. So it it really declutter coach, 
boils down to a coach that helps you to be decisive. That's really good. I, I think for me and probably for a lot of people listening, when we think about clutter, for some of us, it might be we think of people who are hoarders, who just their house is just filled with a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of stuff, and they don't want to get rid of it. And, you know, when it's that extreme, I think sometimes people can look at those individuals and say, that's just not, that doesn't seem not right. That seems like there's something going on emotional, emotionally. But if it's not that extensive, I think, you know, if your house is just in disarray or you do have a lot of things that you're attached to a lot of things, but it's not like overrun with things. I, I don't think people make that connection between uh, the stuff that you have and the emotional connection that's, that you have with it and your values. So like, how, like, how does that work? Because a lot of people just would say, I just, I just like to keep stuff and, and they look around and things are disorganized, but to them, it's just stuff. But what you're saying is there's more of an emotional connection there. So you want to talk a little bit about that? There certainly is. I would love to talk about that because there is an emotional connection to our belongings. I mean, it's a part of our lives, right? If we weren't living life, we wouldn't have the stuff we have. Right. We have the stuff we have because we lived a life and we we amassed the things that we have. And I also want to say to your point that for some people, it's very easy to let go of things, even if they have a lot of clutter. Right. Mm -hmm. Making decisions about it is it's very snap. You know, they they don't have that almost like what is the word that I'm looking for? Like humanizing, humanizing their oh. item, right? There's a, there's an actual a more I can't even say the word. It's like amorphum. I can't say the word, but <laughs> I will find a way to get the you know, <laughs> all of me on Instagram. But yeah. No, it's it's so interesting, right? Because we can almost humanize our belongings, right? Like I can't get rid of, I have hand lotion here, but I can't get rid of this, you know, so-and-so gave this to me and it might get down to like the very bottom and then I'm not even using it anymore, but I'm keeping it because this thing's feelings might get hurt if I let it go, right? These inanimate objects. And that's kind of bordering on the hoarding disorder spectrum, Right. And that is classified in the DSMV-5, which is what psychiatrists and psychologists use to classify behavior as a disorder. And so hoarding is would be a disorder. And sometimes we can look at people's spaces and go, wow, they're a hoarder. But it's it really takes away from the seriousness of that type of diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So we have to be very careful in the language that we use and how we identify as well. Right. Because sometimes it's not hoarding. Sometimes it's just chronic disorganization. Right. right. And with chronic disorganization, you'll see that, you know, in one area of your life, you're disorganized and it just kind of, you know, trickles through other areas of your life. Right. And then you have the individuals who, you know, maybe have been told, right. There's the narratives that come up that are maybe generational, you mm -hmm. know, some people's parents collected things from the side of the sidewalk and, you know, they would find a treasure and, you know, turn that into something, or maybe it would sit in a garage somewhere for decades with the hope of one day being turned into something. Right. Okay. And so then we, as the children of these individuals, we grew up and we start looking at things thinking, oh, well, I can't get rid of that because it might be worth something someday. Or, you know, I have to hold on to these items, whatever those items are, because what if somebody needs them? I need to have them so that I can give them to someone else. For other people, having items around them anchors them to their past, right? So it's a, it's a sense of comfort, right? It allows them to know that they lived. It mm. connects them to maybe a job that they held that, you know, they were highly regarded for. Maybe they worked with the president or the prime minister, you know, right. and having when they walk into their closet and they see those suits, they're reminded of the value that they brought to the world during that time in their life. Yeah. And so letting go of those items takes a, takes them away from that period. It, it de-anchors them from that time, right? It separates them from that identity. Mm. And so for, I find with older people, being surrounded by things gives them a sense of security and safety, right? Um, if there's the room is too sparse. It's like, oh, it's too much room. You know, yeah. I feel cuddled in my space. <laughs> yeah. So for everyone, it's different. And I really want us to understand that even if your space, for any one of those reasons, it's valid, 
right? Mm-hmm. If your space is cluttered for any one of those reasons, it's valid. There's nothing wrong with you. There's no right. There's no wrong, right? We're all learning as we go. And number two, I also want to bring perspective to this idea that, you know, if our space is cluttered, our mind is cluttered. Listen, there are times in my life <laughs> my children take precedence over work. And so what me being with my kids, maybe the housework is going to fall behind. Of course. You know, we have friends and family coming into town. So everything gets chucked into that one room. <laughs> oh, we all get the one room. <laughs> that the door is locked. Don't open that door. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare open that door. <laughs> right. And that that doesn't mean that our mind that there's something wrong with us mentally. It just means that our priorities shifted for a period in time. And so it can feel overwhelming to get back into that space and get it into order, but with a plan and sometimes with some support, like through a declutter coach, it can really make simplify that situation and make it a lot easier to face and to address. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have anxiety about letting things go. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I have some things that I can't let go and I'm going to, I'm going to be honest my old passports. I'm never letting go of my old passport. I don't care. I got all the stamps. I got proof. I've traveled to 20 something countries. Leave me alone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, in all seriousness, I know for sure when things are really chaotic in my life and business is crazy and I got all these things to do and I look around my house or I look at my home office or whatever, and I see a lot of like things just laying around and out of place. And I'm not even someone who needs things to be super organized, but when I look around and I see some clutter or some disarray, it's always a reflection of how things are going in my life. Yeah. And so one of the things that I do is I start to clean up and and organize things and automatically, automatically, I feel like I feel lighter. I feel more clear Mm -hmm. just because all these things aren't laying around. And so that's, that's what I do when I get kind of get in those modes. I'm just like, I'm cleaning, I'm doing laundry, I'm folding everything, I'm putting everything in its place, and all of a sudden, I'm good. And so I see that emotional connection, Yeah. and I, I don't know if a lot of people make that connection, right? They know they, they have stuff around, and it's just there, but they don't know that it, that is in correlation to how they're feeling. So for me, I, I, see, I see it as when you're in your space and you feel uncomfortable or it's not helping you to move forward or be as productive as you want to, to me, that might be an indication that maybe you have to organize some things, right? Like if I got to move around stuff and I'm, it's not, I'm not just comfortable being in my space. To me, that might be an indication that yes, I need to organize or declutter. I don't know. Is is that how you kind of, how do you determine, help someone determine it's time to kind of maybe let go of some things or organize? Yeah, you know, it's it's energy, right? It's all energetic and energy speaks. I mean, you can be in a room with somebody and be like, I'm catching the vibes from this person right now, you know? Like, yeah. it's just, it doesn't feel right, it's off. And the same is true with clutter. Like, you could have clutter behind a closed door. Maybe it's a linen closet or it's that room that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, every time you walk past that room, it's like you get a little bit of a shifted, like your energy kind of drops or you kind of feel something, you feel a way in that space. Or maybe you're visiting somebody and you walk past their basement and you know something is going on down there. You can't pinpoint it. That door is closed, but it doesn't feel, doesn't feel like it's breathing at all. It almost feels like it's either holding its breath or it's being stifled. So I think what you're speaking about here is paying attention to the energy in our, right? Paying attention to how that energy is interacting with us. It's like, oh, God is so good, huh? Yeah. It's so good. Like he doesn't, sometimes, sometimes words aren't even needed. No, no, absolutely not. He'll speak to us. He'll just speak to us through a thought or through a feeling. And it's the same thing with our clutter. It's like, it's just this feeling that we get where we feel stuck, we feel stagnant. Those are cues. Mm. Those are cues that we can pay attention to in our home. (laughs) I'll tell you a story about a cue I had to learn. (laughs) Uh And it has to do with dishes. 
Okay. I remember being really young and I said to my mom, I was like, me and my mom, we used to talk for like two hours on the phone at a time. And she's in the state. So that phone would call, drop off at two hours. We call each other back, get on another time. <laughs> and it was like every day we had this beautiful relationship when I was younger and still do. And uh, one day we're talking and I'm like, mom, these dishes are coming from like there's like dishes on a counter and the sink, you know, and the bedside table. It's like just so many dishes. And she's sitting there, she's letting me rant and, you know, go on about all these dishes. And she's like, well, JC, they're coming from you, honey. And I was like, well, how come come I didn't notice them when I was growing up? (laughs) She was like, well, I would always do the dishes. So here now I'm a little bit annoyed. I'm annoyed at these dishes that keep showing up. And so I bring it to another friend of mine. And I t- I'm talking to him and I'm telling him all about these dishes. And so he asks me, he says, well, Jason, like, what's, what's your cycle? Like, how do you know when you finished eating? And I was like, well, I put my plate down and I'm done. And he was like, oh, okay. How do you know when it's time to eat? And I was like, well, I get hungry and I go to the kitchen and I like take out the things that I need to, to eat with. And he was like, okay, so where is the disconnection there? Just, I love, I love having friends that ask you questions like that. They don't give you the answers, but they'll ask you those questions yeah, that get you thinking. Yeah. And it got me thinking that there is a cycle here that's not being completed, right? The dishes are going down, but when I go back for a dish, if I haven't washed that dish, then I can't go and get a dish when it's time <laughs> to eat. Exactly. And, and it sounds so obvious, but to people who struggle with chronic disorganization, Like missing those cues can really lead a house to going just Mm. out of control, right? So what I began to understand was for me, that cycle wasn't complete. I wasn't finished eating until I had washed the dish and packed it away. That was also a part of eating. That became a part of eating for me, right? So that was the one thing. If I saw the dish on the plate, on the, sorry, on the table, I wasn't finished eating yet. I like and that. that was my cue that I wasn't finished eating when it came to bringing, you know, those flyers that you get in the mail inside. And sometimes there's like flyers yeah. where and I, some, I work in a lot of people's homes. So sometimes I'll notice this. And, you know, I was like, OK, well, maybe for you, it's not a matter of bringing the flyer in. The cue for you is before you even cross the threshold, stopping off at the recycling bin and going through those flyers and putting them in. Shared this on the Dear Clutter show so many times because people, paper clutter was a major issue for them. And so making sure that we nip it in the bud at the start of the issue, you can look for these little cues. Your home will, will give them to you. Your behaviors will give them to you, right? It's just a matter of being able to discern what they are. And sometimes you need a third perspective to show you, you need somebody else. So like if your husband or your wife is getting on your case about something. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know what? Listen, man, I, I don't, you talking to my wife, like stop about this dishes stuff. Cause she'd be on me. Like, listen, we got a dishwasher, put the dishes in the, I'm like, okay, okay. You know? <laughs> and, and, and I remember growing up and, you know, my mom going to get mad at me, but our, our house wasn't, it was a little bit cluttered. Right. But I remember, you know, the dishes and all. And, you know, back in the day, we never had a remote control. You had to go and turn the TV. And I would say to my mom, like, why don't we get a dishwasher? And why don't we get a remote? And she's like, you don't need one. I got three of them. I was like, where? She said, you, your brother and your sister. And I was like, oh, this woman, man. But I think that at a young age, especially my mother and my grandmother, my grandmother was a Jamaican grandmother who taught me how to cook at like four or five years old. I was learning how to cook, go into the garden, come back. We're cooking it. So doing the laundry dishes and all that kind of stuff. I was doing that from a, a very young age. And as I got older and I started dating people, I realized a lot of what, you know, obviously you know, that is, is how you were raised. So, you know, a lot of people that I, you know, women that I dated didn't know anything. They didn't know how to cook. They didn't really do laundry. And, and I realized like when you're dating and you're young, it doesn't really bother you. But as you get older and you're looking at this person as a life partner, you're like, how, like the, and like you said, energy, 
the energy that you're bringing with not throwing your clothes all over the place and not organizing, like it's affecting my energy. Yes. Is this somebody I see myself with for a long time if they're not willing to kind of meet meet me halfway? And so mm-hmm. I was even looking at that, like as a partner, as I started to get older, I was like, yeah, I could see this person or no, it's taken away from my energy. I can't. And so that was interesting that you you brought that up earlier as well. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's funny because sometimes we, like my mother was very clean. My yeah. mother, my mother actually had a neurosis for cleaning. That was, oh. that was, we lived, our, that was my household life. Right. Wow. And so like I remember four o'clock, the key in the door. I'm nervous because I'm like, did I dust for the third time today? Like it was terrible. <laughs> wow. Wow. Now, here's the thing, right? Like the rest of the house was immaculately kept. But coming to my bedroom, honey, anybody listening to this podcast who knows me growing up can testify from the window to the wall. Okay. <laughs> but it was there was so much clutter. It really? Was under, yes, it was See, under. I don't think I, 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 that's interesting because a lot of people are saying, look, you're this declutter coach. She must have been organized all the way as a child. And your mother was very organized and clean. So mm-hmm. what happened with you? Like, how come you was it because she was so strict that you didn't sort of take that on? What was it for you? Why didn't you? I don't know. I don't I don't know why I didn't pick up what she was putting down. You yeah. know, I by osmosis, doing the work I do today, I could see a lot of her in me, mm. so especially in the cleaning. Like, I'm cleaning your house. That toilet seat is coming off, okay? We are getting in there with a little toothbrush and getting those cracks and crevices because that's what my mom taught me to do when I was a really young girl. Like, right. nine years old, I was removing the toilet seat from our toilet, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> everything gets touched. You pull everything off of that wall. If you kn- if you haven't pulled everything off of that bookshelf and dusted underneath of it, it's not clean. Like, mm-hmm. that's... That's how I learned to clean. And I think that is with my cleaning, it re- my mother comes through, it translates, right? She mm-hmm. translates. When it comes to organization, I, I think it could have been a combination of things. Number one, if I look back now, I can see that I was chronically disorganized, right? Okay. I don't, I'm not entirely sure my mother knew how to teach me to be organized. Mm-hmm. And organization wasn't even a thing back then. Yeah, yeah. I was Nobody. like, what? <laughs> right? Like you didn't talk about your home period, right? <laughs> right. Anybody. So I I I'm not too sure, but like I said earlier on, I know God gave me the mother he gave me for a reason. He mm. gave me the life experience I had for a reason. And part of living that life where my mother's home was so clean and my room was so tore up. Yeah. Tore up, yeah. Is the shame and the embarrassment that I lived with, you know, cousins coming over talking about, I don't know why you have the whole Barbie collection. You don't even keep it like, and being jealous and feeling internalizing that and feeling, you know, embarrassed and feeling worthy. Right. So I think that all of those experiences come to the forefront when I am working with people, Mm -hmm. when, you know, they talk about, you know, maybe, not deserving certain things in their lives. I can see that unworthiness and I it resonates with me. The overwhelm, the shame, the embarrassment, the guilt, it all resonates with me because of the experience that mm. I had growing up. So I don't know why it didn't translate, but I tell you, God had a better idea than any of us could have. Listen, you know what I find interesting, like what you what you were saying there, I'm always curious about people's childhoods and how they grew up, because I feel like obviously, you know, they say success leaves clues while your childhood leaves clues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, aside from, you know, all of that, like, what was your childhood? Like, what was it like for you just growing up and in, in, in your family, in your neighborhood? What what was that like for you? Ah, well, let me just say also clutter leaves clues. Clutter definitely leaves clues. Okay. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I think for me, I had a, you know, Danny, I had a really good childhood. I really did. I can't complain about my childhood at all. Mm-hmm. My mother, my father was around, but I was with my mother primarily. Okay. And my mother was a hardworking woman. She mm-hmm. was young when she had me. She'll tell people she started young and she worked fast because she looks younger than me today. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay, mom. She's everything, you know, and growing up, she made sure that even though my father wasn't around as much as we would have liked him to be around, 
she kept me connected to his family. So mm. every summer I would travel to Brooklyn and I would spend time with my family in Brooklyn. I would go out to Trinidad and I would spend a couple of weeks in Trinidad every summer. She found a summer camp up north. I call it the Sticks, so like Algonquin Park area. And for two weeks, I would go up to the Sticks and I would, you know, be up there. And so I learned so much about Canadian culture and, you know, music. And the school I went to was a very, I don't know what happened, but our class was very diverse. We had people from all over the world, from Sri Lanka, from Ecuador, from Czechoslovakia, wow. from Jamaica, Toronto, Canada. Like we had people from everywhere, Guyana, Trinidad. We had people from everywhere. And so learning about food and culture and diversity was something that was steeped in my childhood. I didn't grow up initially in the greatest area. Mm. I grew up in Moss Park, yeah. which is adjacent to Regent Park. But my mother saw fit to get us out of that neighborhood very quickly. And so I didn't go to school in Moss Park. I went to school in St. Lawrence Market area. Okay. Up the street. And, you know, I had to take two buses to get to school. But <laughs> like I said, like it was just such a beautiful environment to grow up in. So growing up with different cultures and, and you know, in different environments, not just here in the city of Toronto, but traveling and that sort of thing really opened up, I think, my worldview to possibility, right? That we were not just the single story, as Chimamanda Ngochi Adichie would say, right? That there's more to us than just the single story. And I, I'm really grateful for that. My mother's family was small, so it was just me and my my few cousins, you right. know? We all call each other cousin. Right. And, you know, my mother's family coming to Canada in 1856, I mean- From where? From the States. Yeah, yeah. United States. So we came up through the Underground Railroad and we settled in Southern Ontario. And so farm, you know, small town, farm, community, you know, little country bumpkins, uh, <laughs> eating soul food and, you know, black <laughs> peas for New Year's Eve. It's all good. <laughs> like all of these like traditions. And then also having, you know, the Trinidadian, you know, culture influencing my my upbringing. I feel very fortunate. Truly. It's not, it, yeah. I mean, that that's amazing to grow up with so many cultures. You know, I, I grew up in Nova Scotia and it was mostly just black people, white people, and a few Lebanese people. So, you know, when I moved to Toronto, I, I just loved the diversity and I would just embrace it. And I was seeking it out because even though I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood and low income housing, I was always just fascinated by cultures and geography and who did what and what they look like and eat. And so, yeah, coming to Toronto was was amazing for me. Mm -hmm. And so for you, like growing up and you said your father was kind of around. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're growing up, up around all these other cultures, were they sort of two parent homes? Were both of their parents involved in their lives? And if they were, like, what did what did that mean to you if your dad wasn't around? Like, what what a, kind of emotions and feelings did you have about that when you were growing up? That's such a good question. That is such a good question. And I say this because, ooh, my brothers and sisters are going to be angry with me when they hear this. Or maybe they won't. Maybe they'll just be like, yeah, absolutely, you are right. I feel like my father spent a lot, I had a lot of time with my dad. Even though he wasn't around very often, I had a lot of time with my dad, more so than my siblings did. Okay. And I learned so much from my father. So although I grew up in predominantly, you know, a single family, single parent home, my father visited a lot. I would, my mother would send me away with him. She made sure I spent time with him. So I'd spend weekends with him. He was an artist. So I learned a little bit of like that entrepreneurial culture from him. I would help him create his art. Then we'd go and sell it and, you know, all of this fun stuff. And yes, the, the families that, you know, friends that I grew up with, some of them had, you know, single parents that would maybe take off and go on trips without them and leave them at home. And they were like single, like they were, they were only children kind of being at home by themselves. You know, I had friends who both parents were in the household and both, you know, the kind of that her hypergamous structure where, you know, the father is like, you know, traditional, you know, making the money and mom's at home and that sort of thing. And seeing those relationships, those families kind of fall apart over the years and kind of walking with friends through those experiences and 
other friends who were raised by their grandparents, you know, like I feel like I had, God has just blessed me with diversity across the board, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I didn't necessarily feel like I was losing or missing out on anything as a child. I felt like I was somewhere in the middle, but mm-hmm. I also noticed very early on that there are many experiences, right? And, and it's but just, what a, I, yeah, go ahead. What I think that, what I think that you, I mean, you said a lot of really interesting things there, but I, the the reason why I asked about your relationship with your father, because I think that's, it's a really powerful connection. I grew up in a, a neighborhood where hardly anyone's fathers were around. And then we would go to other neighborhoods with white kids and other kids. And there, you know, there were two family households, but I think what you said was really important because especially for mothers out there who maybe aren't with the father of their children, I think that relationship should be encouraged, mm-hmm. you know, with the father and the children, whether you, you know, and I think that's, it, it's something that I've seen a lot growing up that was very negative. You know, a father would come and try to, you know, pick up their son and, 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 you know, the mother would say no, you know? And, and so I think what you just mentioned is really important for anyone who is a parent, a mother or a father, and you're not together and you have your children. I think it's important to encourage them to have that connection with the other parent, you know, and, as, and you, you said that so beautifully, even though you, you felt like you had a lot of time and you learned a lot about your father and he helped you to learn maybe your place in the world. So I think those relationships are really important when parents aren't together. Most, right? Because like, again, I go back to God not making mistakes. He knows what he's doing. We might not be able to see why he chose that other person. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about us maybe making the wrong decision, ending up with the wrong person. But at the end of the day, you know, our children are not ours. And I think as a parent, that's something that I had to learn Mm. very early on. My children are not my own. There's going to come a day where I'm not going to be here. And these children are going to go on into, you know, developing in their own lives and in their own communities and their own faith and that sort of thing. As parents, our responsibility is to give them the tools that they need. And one of the tools I think that you're speaking about here is building interpersonal relationships with those who are closest to us, right? And if the interpersonal relationship is is the foundation of that with our with the, the people who are most important to us, like our mothers and our fathers. So society tells us that, right? If if the foundation of that is I'm supposed to hate this person as much as my other parent, like it's just, it's not a good ground. Yeah, no. It's not a good ground. And we really want to make sure that these children that we bring into this world who are seeds are planted in really good ground, right? That's powerful. Yeah. I, yeah. I really love that. I love that. You know, so somebody looking at you say, okay, Jay Sal's an entrepreneur. She's a super mom. She has, you know, four kids and she's, you know, has a business and how, like, you just seem like you kind of have it all together. Right. And, and so like, what is like a big challenge that you've had to overcome in your life? Because a lot of people look at you and just be like, man, this woman, she, she got it going on. (laughs) And, 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 and that's what happened, right? Like, when you find yourself in a place where you're really loving yourself and you understand who you are and you have this confidence and you know you know that you're covered by your creator mm-hmm. people look at you and 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 they don't understand the journey that it took to get here this is like oh well you've never gone through anything and so you know what is a big challenge or something in your life that you had to overcome that people just wouldn't know looking at you it's so interesting because this so relates to working in homes, right? I find that we as people, we have this idea when we go over to somebody's home or this expectation that we have on our own home is that it's supposed to look a certain way all the time. The thing is, is that when we go over to somebody's home, they've vacuumed, they have mopped the floor, they have maybe, you know, changed the linens. Like they, they're putting not, they're putting their best foot forward for us. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with putting your best foot forward when you step out into the world. I think that that's something that we should all do. It doesn't mean that you're fake, that you're phony, that you're putting on. That's not what it means. It just means that you're cognizant of how you're presenting yourself and how that's impacting others, right? 
the thing is, is that there's always, just like with the home, right? There's times where ain't nobody's there and things are kind of falling apart and the dishes aren't done and the beds aren't made and the floor needs to be vacuumed and, you know, the bathroom needs to be wiped down, like all of these things. And so with my life, there was a time where things were really, really very messy, very messy. You know, I I mentioned it earlier. I lived with mental illness, mental, mental, it's still a little bit hard for me to talk about it, even though I've had the privilege of being able to speak openly about it for the past couple of years. I I lived with major depressive disorder, Mm. major anxiety. I was borderline agoraphobic. I don't even know what that means, but that's what they said. Mm. And I was reaching into the personality disorder category because I had lived with mental illness, like chronic mental illness for so long that it was becoming a personality disorder. Mm. And I, 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 I'm going to say this and I'm not going to, I'm not saying this to be, to make light of it, but it truly is by the grace of God, because I don't even know how it happened. I really don't know when that point was when I began to heal or that I healed. But to anybody out there who's living with mental illness, I thought that I was going to live in these chronic states of depression, cycling in and out for weeks or months at a time, right? Promising friends that I was going to be there. And then the anxiety pangs striking so deeply and so hard that even into the hours leading up, I'm talking myself into going. And then having major panic attacks as I'm about to walk out the door. So on my on the side of my friends, they're looking at it. She's flaky. She can't keep her commitment. She's not going to show up not knowing what was happening behind closed doors, right? And we try, we, we, there was no language to speak about this, you know, 15, 10, even 10 years ago. It right. was very much taboo. But again, I just, I don't know when it happened. And why it happened to me, but it has been over five years and there have been no relapse, no medication. I still talk to therapists, but there's been no major depressive, not fallen into a major depressive state. Like years, there are moments where I pinch myself and I'm like, is this my reality right now, Lord? Like, have you really brought me through? This is amazing, you know? and. So I don't, it's, it wasn't by my own effort, I would say. It wasn't, I don't know if it was anything that I necessarily did, but I think if we go back to the cues that we spoke about earlier, it was truly about noticing those cues. Yeah. When, when did you know, and were were you diagnosed and when did you know, when when did you get the diagnosis? Definitely diagnosed. I knew something, if I, if I look back in hindsight, something was definitely wrong when I was nine, because that was the first time I tried to take it. I was nine. Yeah, I was, I was nine years old. And when I even look back on that experience, I remember that experience clear as day. I can even still hear the music playing in the living room, like where my mom and I could hear her in the kitchen And I remember being in the bathtub and I was counting down, getting ready to take that one breath underwater and be gone. And I heard a voice. It's going to sound a little strange. And it scared me at the time. But I heard a voice just as I was about to go under that water, Coach Stone, say, get up. And I shot up out of the tub and I was like, oh my gosh, what was that? What was that? I got out of that water so fast threw that towel around me and ran out of that bathroom. I was done. I was like, there's something in there. There was something in there. I can look back now and see that it was something that was trying to save me, but I didn't understand it then. At nine. Uh, at nine. At, and I can't even tell you what caused me to be in that state of mind. I can't tell you. There's no, there's no like pivotal moment. Like there was no abuse that I remember from that time. There was no, nothing significant. So that's very that what you said there is very first of all so mm-hmm. happy that you know you're doing so well in this mm-hmm. journey and at 9 years old you had that feeling mm-hmm. and I think it's really important that we just hold this for a second because if somebody is feeling like that mm-hmm. a lot of times they trace it back to some type of trauma that they had when they were a child mm-hmm. and if they can't find that then they they it's very difficult for them to understand and 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 I'm 
I'm thankful that you said that in that moment because a lot of people automatically, well, something traumatic happened or something, and you just you just didn't know what it was. And I'm saying this because there might be someone right now who's feeling like this, who just feels like, you know, they're 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 so not like anyone else, like no one else has have ever experienced that, and they feel like they're you know maybe alienated because they're having these feelings, and they don't know why. So I, I just wanted to say that because so often when people f- are in that state, it gets traced back to some trauma or something and and yours wasn't. So I just wanted to kind of hold that. It's interesting that you say that because as you were speaking, I was, and folks, this is just, this is all happening in real time right now. As you were speaking, I was brought back to a story I shared earlier about, you know, kind of having it all and not being able to take care of it. Mm-hmm. And the shame and overwhelm and guilt and fear and, you know, unworthiness that was steeped out of that, that chronic disorganization. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to say this out loud here. I'm not sure if maybe that's kind of was kind of fueling, feeling so low and feeling like maybe I, I shouldn't be here. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't speak to that. I'm going to take that up with my therapist. But because we spoke about it here, I wonder, I wonder if sometimes, you know, our, even our environment or our capacity to maintain what we have or to take care of what we have can possibly lead to feeling like we just, we just shouldn't have it or maybe, you know, unworthy, right? And and that's the word I was just about to say, because I've coached a lot of people, (laughs) Career coaching, life coaching, I've just coached a lot of people. You know, my job, my first real job was as a career coach for seven years. And it was an employment center where people would come in who were on social assistance, who had been let go from their job, who were trying to get into the work. We saw everybody. And what I realized is we ended up doing a lot more life coaching than than anything, career coaching or anything, or business coaching. And I saw, I mean... People who had been incarcerated, people who had been abused, people who had everything, you know, who came from wealthy families, but were still struggling in their careers and their business and their life. And what I realized is that a lot of sort of this uneasiness in our life and, and a lot of what holds us back is maybe trauma and other things, but a lot of it boils down to you just don't feel worthy. You feel unworthy of, of anything that's coming your way. And as you were talking, you know, about that, I, that's what kind of re- came up for me because there've been times in my life where I self-sabotaged a job or an opportunity just because I didn't feel like I was worthy and I made excuses and it really just boiled down to that. Mm-hmm. And so maybe an extreme version of that is someone because they don't feel worthy and I've had clients tell me this, they did try to take their own life or they sabotaged their relationships and and so when, when you said that word right at the end, I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, I just don't feel worthy. And an extreme version of that is I have no value to add to anybody else or anything else. So, you know, maybe I should remove myself from, from the situation. So, you no, know, I, I think going through that experience, it, it also gives me that just having that lived experience, you know, I, I will not, I don't think I will ever. I can't say I will never because I've learned to say, I've learned to be careful with saying I will never because you don't know where you're going to be. But I, you know, I I really make a a valiant, concerted effort to, you know, there's no right or there's no wrong in the work that I do, Mm -hmm. right? Just because we're not ready to let go of everything all at once doesn't mean we failed. Just because a system is put into place, you know, you might have a declutter coach or an organizing team come in, like my mother used to do. She always used to come in and reset my room, and then it would be in shambles within a couple of weeks, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you, per se. It just means that a few things from my observation. One, it could be that the system isn't yours, and so it doesn't really work for you, right? Maybe mm-hmm. you do things a little bit differently. Maybe you don't necessarily reach for your pens at the front of the drawer, but you need them in a cup on top of your drawer. Right. And if the person who's come in and organized your space puts your cups, your pens in a in a drawer, and then you're 
pens end up all over your desk, well, maybe that's why they need the cup <laughs> so that they can paint in the cup if that's your natural, you know, movement in your space. So again, nothing wrong with you. Sometimes it's the system that that doesn't quite work for you. And sometimes, you know, the 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 system falls apart, the organization in the space can fall apart, like we spoke about earlier, for different reasons, right? So it's really important to think about where we are. Sometimes the the way we've organized our space is is based on, again, going back to what would someone else do. It's based on the images maybe we see Mm -hmm. uh, in television. And so really understanding, you know, who you are, what works for you. Sometimes it's about simplifying things, right? Mm -hmm. Out all of the fluff that I should be, you know, should have, could have, what is all of that? Because that can cause a lot of anxiety. Absolutely. Right, being able to live up to other people's standards, right? If I can say there's one thing that really helped with my anxiety was just that, was really learning to let go of what other people were doing and just figuring out what was working for me, mm. right? The beautiful bed with all the pillows and the throws and the things didn't work for me. Yeah. I need a bed with two pillows a comforter and a fitted sheet. So when I wake up in the morning, I can go pop, pop with my pillow, <laughs> flop with my comforter and I'm yeah. done. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, it's yeah. simple. Yeah. Sometimes it can be. And, and to add to that and speaking to the sense of worthiness, right. I'm capable is knowing that you've simplified a system so much that you're able to do it every day in those small increments, the day-to-day, it's like a friend of mine, a colleague of mine would say, little by little, a little becomes a lot, mm. right? And so just doing that small task every day can certainly snowball into us feeling maybe a little bit more worthy and a little bit more capable, right? So- Yeah, that, that's very powerful. You know, I think what I what I want to know from you is what are some things that you do- mm-hmm for self-care and to sort of manage your 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 mental health challenges that you've had in the past because there's a lot of people listening right now would be like well what can i do and and i love that you just shared that as well but what are some of the things that you do to care for yourself and to break through these limiting beliefs and anxiety and, and those kinds of things definitely simplifying simplify things down right because when we begin to simplify things down over time the clutter gets less rude yeah. You turn around and be like, yeah, I see you there. I'm going to get back to you when I can. <laughs> so just go ahead and simplify things. Maybe you don't need all of the plates and dishes out. Maybe for a time being, you need paper plates, right? And plastic cutlery. And it's okay to have a little bit of garbage for a little bit of time. Maybe when you begin to pull out your, your dinnerware, your ceramics or your porcelain, that sort of thing, you only have as much as you need. Mm-hmm. clothing, right? Ask yourself, how much laundry do I really want to do? Right? How much laundry do I really want to do? And if my habit is to get down to the last pair of drawers before I do my laundry, then how many drawers do I actually, and I'm not talking about pulling and pushing out. <laughs> You're talking about underwear. <laughs> how many do I actually need? Right? Yeah. So really thinking about, okay, how much work do I want to do inside of my home helped me to really quantify what is inside of my home. But also, I guess the other thing I do is I take naps in the middle of the day. Yeah. When I was a little bit more busy and the children were a little bit younger, even a couple of years ago when my youngest was was younger, I came across this meditation. And, ooh, meditation is so powerful. But I came across this meditation and it was literally just like a body scan. It's a 12-minute mm. body scan. You start from your head, you notice your head. You work down your face, you notice every feature on your face coming down to your neck, your shoulders, the front, the back of your arms, all the way down to your tippy toes. And as you acknowledge each part of your body, you relax it. You can do this yeah. sitting up, you can do this laying down. But when I tell you, you come out of this feeling like you had it's a- good. I do that. I do that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. good. It's so good. So it doesn't have to take a lot of time. Nowadays, on especially on my days that are a little bit slower, when my body tells me it's time to take a nap, I do not argue. Yeah, you listen. Don't argue. 
I don't, oh, well, let me just get this one last email in. Nope. I get up from this desk and I march myself upstairs and I put myself down. Yeah. Because our, you know, what comes from within us is, it's another cue. It's another cue. It's another, you know, it's the intuition. It's God speaking to us saying, you need to do this right now. And sometimes it may seem a little irrational, like getting up at, you know, 1.30 in the afternoon in the middle of the day, and you're going to go lay down and you got to go pick up those babies at three and you still Listen, got a lot of work to do. Wow. I mean, four boys, <laughs> you know, plus well, running the business and wow. A lot of them, are, well, they're, they're grown, right? Like okay, I really okay. have the youngest one that I have to manage yeah, now. But yeah. yes, over but, Yeah, the but over the years, yeah. You, yeah. you know, so I think it's... I. I I love that you shared simplifying, you know, first of all, anyone who's, you know, suffers with anxiety or limiting beliefs, or you just can't get yourself going or a lot of self-doubt, or you just kind of struggle in trying to break through in, in your life. Simplifying things is is one of the best things that you can do. You know, as, as J. Cell said, taking naps meditation there's so many free meditation apps and free meditations you can find online and i know i know everyone who follows me is tired of this they're like coach stone you need to stop telling us this you've been saying this but i do believe that starting your day with a morning ritual is very powerful like it changed my life and that can be whatever it looks like for you but to me you know, I'm very kind of, uh, like you said, uh, specific about words. Mm-hmm. I actually did a, a former podcast episode about this because people interchange morning routine with a morning ritual. They they interchange them and they're not the same thing. Not the same thing. You know, a routine are the things you have to do, do to get ready for your day. A ritual is something that you want to do, that you look forward to do. It creates more peace, calm, joy, and clarity in your life. Mm-hmm. And so... Starting your day like that, if you are somebody who doesn't have a lot of clarity in your life, you don't have a lot of focus, you, you, know, you, you have a lot of self-doubt or anxiety, taking care of yourself first and whatever that looks like to me is one of the best things that you can do. And then throughout the day, gratitude. You know, this, a lot of us focus on what we don't have, but when you go to gratitude, this is what I'm thankful for. This is what I'm grateful for. It's hard for two opposing thoughts to occupy your mind at the same time. And so if you're having this anxiety or I'm not worthy or I will never, I want you to stop and say, look, I'm so grateful that I woke up today. I'm so thankful that I ate a meal and it will automatically stop those limiting beliefs. And so I just kind of wanted to share that because I know a lot of people would want to know what you are doing because you, you know, you seem to be really thriving. And I think those tips and those points are really valuable because there's many times in my life where I needed to hear stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, we we and I, I agree with you. We have to be a reflection for other people to see that what is possible for sure, right? Telling yeah. our story and sharing what it is that we do. There was a time in my life where I was like, I just don't even know what to do. But yeah. how do how do you how do you get up and feel better? Like, what does that even look like? Like, I don't, what, what's the first thing you're supposed to do? I don't know what you're supposed to do. But when we share stories like this, it, t- it gives people tools. Yeah, right? yeah. My grandmother always used to talk about the notches on your belt. You know, those are your this tool belts. You know, you want to increase those, those notches that you have on your belt so that you can reach for things at any given time. And I think what you just did here, words of gratitude, words of faith, you know, routine, ritual over routine, you know, these types of things that fill up our cup, you yeah. know, are so they're, 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 they're necessary, right? They're vital, dare yeah. I say. And right. I think looking for things that bring you more joy, looking mm-hmm. for things that you enjoy doing, looking for things that bring you more peace and calm. Mm-hmm. It sounds very simple, mm-hmm. but how many people actually implement those things into their life throughout their day? I go for my afternoon walks because I enjoy them. I listen to podcasts while I'm working. I listen to, you know, whatever music is in my vibe. You know, I might be in my reggae vibe. Leave me alone. I'm, I'm vibing out. I might be in my gospel thing. Or whatever, hey. You know what I mean? Like, I might be on my, I might be on my soca because I'm, you know, dancing around, like getting ready for a speech or something. Whatever it is, do the thing that brings you more joy, more peace, and more calm in your life. It sounds pretty straightforward. But when you're not feeling good about yourself or you're depressed or anxious or 
you just have these limiting beliefs, it's something that you just don't even really think about because you can only see where you are from a stuck perspective. So 100%. I'm so and, happy. To, sorry, and I had to add to that. And if if you if you aren't able to see it, it's it could be because you just haven't taken the time to sit down and to reflect on it. You know, so it, it might seem like for and coming from somebody with lived experience, oh, just think positive. Uh-uh. Yeah. Nah. No, 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 no. That's not what we're telling you to do here. We're not telling you to just think positive. What we're saying is that the more you replace those negative remunerations with a positive alternative, eventually the remuneration slows down and That's then right. it needs to stop. It's it's a process. It slowly happens. But if you never trust it enough just to try it, you'll never know what's possible. That's so powerful. Listen, I love that. Jaycel, we're, we're wrapping up here because you dropped so much heat. Oh my goodness. I think a lot of people are going to go back and replay this like 10 times because you just dropped so many gems. And I just want to thank you for being so open and transparent. I have two questions that I ask everybody before we wrap up. And so I'm going to ask you these two questions. Uh, the first question is, what does grind mean to you? I love this question. I love this question. I love this question. Grinding means you keep moving forward. And I learned this by way of faith, right? I had a coach who once told me, you know, we keep moving forward. I get that. And theoretically, I get it. But when you have faith in something, honey, you can put your foot out to take a step and there ain't nothing there. But when you foot land, something rises up to meet it, right? And so that's what grinding is. Grinding is continue to walk forward, even though everything in the world is showing you, don't take another step, you might fall. Keep moving forward. Keep keep stepping. Keep stepping. Ooh, that's some heat right there. <laughs> and the last question is, what does gratitude mean to you? Oh, it's, uh, you know, step into his courts with thankfulness, right? You, when you, when you, when you, when you wake up in the morning, you spoke about r- ritual and routine. And for me, the thing that fills me up is just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, right? Because everything you, it's like, if I go to my mother and I say to my mother, oh, great, can I have that thing? And I never say thank you. As a parent, you'll understand, as, or even as a friend, as a brother or sister, somebody keeps coming back to you with their hand out and there's never a thank you. Eventually you can stop putting things inside of that hand. <laughs> you can be like, mm, there's, there's no gratitude here. Right. So when we walk in through lives saying thank you, being great, grateful and having a sense of gratitude, more and more can come to you. And with that more and more that comes to you, you have a responsibility to then give that forward to other people. So it's not just a you gimme, gimme, gimme thing. Right. Gratitude is more than that. It's great. Now that I have this thing, I've consumed it. How can then I can how can I contribute? So it goes back again to not just on a social media platform. How can, you know, consuming and contributing gratitude is that in life, living it out. I wish I had a fire or air horn. She just like, she she went off, man. She went off. Listen, JCL, thank you, man. This has been a really great conversation. And what I really like is your transparency. And I love your openness and honesty about some of the challenges that you've had. And I think it's really important that we continue to have these meaningful conversations about, you know, the struggles and the challenges that we have and, and that we continue to overcome. Because sometimes people look at us and they're like, oh, you, you got it all figured out. So thank you so much for being on the show. We're definitely going to have a part two and three and let everybody know where they can connect with you and where they can find you. Oh, thank you. So, Danny, listen. You are such an inspiration to me. I really value you. I value our our relationship. I love your family. Like I just I'm I'm so grateful that God has blessed me with you in my life. So yes, part 2, part 3, part 4, part 5. I want to have you come on my platform and share with my community and and that speaking to that where folks can find me. Usually I'm on Instagram. I'm over on Instagram at lovecleaning.gta. Or you can, you know, if you're looking for services, you can find me at love www.lovecleaning.ca. 
but you know, if you hit me up in my DMs, I will hit you right back. You know, I will, I, I will respond to you. I'm not inaccessible. Not even if I get there, I'm still going to be accessible. Not <laughs> yet, but she about to blow up. So you better catch it while you can. Listen, I'll put all the, I'll put all your details in the show notes so everybody can get a hold of you. Again, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for being here, Jacell. And thank you all for tuning in and listening to the Grind and Gratitude show. Make sure that you share this episode with a friend and you leave a comment and subscribe to the Grind and Gratitude show podcast wherever you listen to it. Thank you so much. I'm Coach Stone. We out. Thanks so much for being my co-host on this episode of the Grind and Gratitude show. I really appreciate you. I hope that you learned something and you're motivated to take action and get on your grind. Didn't that go by fast? If you want more, head over to grindandgratitude.com for show notes and more information about this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a rating so more people will tune in. And let me say this. There's something special about you. Grind until you find it. Be grateful when you get it.